Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Really feel like God has put a message in my heart. We've been in a series uh, entitled uh, Hero to Heathen. And just want to kind of bring some clarity to, to what that means. We've been defining a hero as one that acknowledges God. And we've been defining a heathen, or the true definition of a heathen, is one who does not acknowledge God. And so Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 has been our, our theme verse. It says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. The root word of that word acknowledge is the word know. In the Hebrew, it's the word yada, which is this intimate know of bringing God close and intimate into every aspect of our life. And then he goes on to say, and God will make your paths straight. So I had a message planned out Friday. The Lord decided that we were going to go in a different direction. That happens once in a while. And I think in light of everything that we've been facing, um, God has given me a, a, just a word in season for us. And so I, I want to speak to you today from the subject of a breath of fresh air, a breath of fresh air. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your grace on our lives. And Lord, we are able to worship today. And sometimes, um, God, we don't realize what a privilege it is to be able to do this in freedom. And, uh, and for those who are in paradise today, they don't have a building to worship in. And so, God, we're just so grateful that two things, that we do have a place to worship you, but that we're also not bound by these walls. Yeah. That, Lord, uh, that this, these walls do not define the church, but your people um, who make up your church uh, can meet anywhere in any place and still encounter you and reach the world. And so, God, we just thank you, but we do pray a great grace on all of those churches, uh, both Northern California, Southern California, that are, are wrestling with all of this craziness, Lord, we thank you for your provision, and I pray that you would awaken our hearts today in a special way, God, in a way that would be so full of hope, yet we would also bear one another's burdens. And so, Father, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everybody says, amen. amen. Well, uh, I wanted to, excuse my voice, it's a, it's a little messed up. My, my girls are sick. Uh, they all have respiratory uh, malfunctions this week. It's, it's been pretty rough and pretty brutal. Um, but uh, I, I, I wonder if you guys have ever been dogpiled. Anybody ever been dogpiled? Yeah. Let me show you what that looks like. When I was growing up, I used to hate the dogpile. And my friends and I, we'd get together and it'd be on several occasions that before you know it, you're on the ground and a bunch of guys are piling on top of you. And everybody thinks it's funny. See, I don't mind being this guy that's flying in the air on top. I just don't like being this guy because it starts off as a lot of fun and excitement, but then all of a sudden that weight starts to press down on you in such a way, and then you have this brief moment of panic where you're excited at one moment, everybody's laughing, and then all of a sudden you realize that you have all this weight pressed on top of you and you can't breathe. And so it's, it's that moment you're, you're thinking, I can't breathe. And then you start getting mad. Get off of me. Get off of me, right? And then we'll start it off as like this fun thing that guys do. Why do we do it? I don't know. Girls, I don't know, ladies, if you guys do this stuff. This is what us guys do. And you get up and then you're just mad. Why'd you get on? What do you think? I couldn't breathe. All frustrated. You know, I was, I was thinking this week, it's hard to breathe when you're pressed. 
And I got to be honest with you, I, I, I kind of detoured from the message that I was originally going to preach because the Lord, I just, my heart's been so heavy this week. It's, it's, it's been pressed in certain ways. Is you just kind of step back and look at the world. It's not just the California fires that, that we're wrestling with, but it's, the world is in a lot of turmoil. And it, it, it wasn't a, like a, a hopeless sense or, 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 or kind of a despair but, but sometimes you got to feel the gravity of what's happening in order to be moved to a place of action. Sometimes you have to feel the pain a little bit. You have to feel pressed a little bit in order to, to know what the next step is. And so it, it, it can kind of take your breath away, though, as you look out at what's happening. Even close to us, I was talking with, uh, I was talking with Phil this morning. I said, can, could you imagine, like, in paradise, we could be there by 11. Like, it's just so close. And on top of just kind of feeling uh, the, 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 the pressure or the weight of, of what's happening across the globe, I think very practically uh, we've been pressed with some bad air quality. Uh, we, we currently uh, live in Livermore, and, man, there was a couple of days it got real bad. And they, what they said was here in the valley, because there's, there's really uh, been no wind, there's been no breath that as this, fire, as this smoke is has trickled into the valley. It's just kind of settled in, in, in a, almost like a pit and just pressing down on our community. And it's been hard to breathe. I'm listening to my girls coughing like crazy. We've, we've tried to be obedient and, you know, we've stayed inside and we've tried to, you know, take all the necessary precautions. But it, it's a little tough to breathe when you have this air quality pressing in that's not healthy for you. You know, uh, I, it reminded me of, of a message that I spoke to you a few years back. And I, I, was ta- I talked to you about the doldrums. The doldrums, it's an interesting place. It's, it's, uh, it's where an, uh, a, a tropical convergence takes place in the ocean along the equator where the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere meet. Now, if you know anything about the northern hemisphere and the southern hemisphere, they both spin in, uh, in a different direction. And as they meet in the doldrums, as, as they collide with one another, it cancels out the wind. There's no breath. There's no movement. And at any time that you're caught in the doldrums, at least before motorized boats were invented, it was a serious deal. Because you would rely on wind to navigate. You would rely on breath to move forward. And, and you weren't able to because there was none. And so potentially if you got caught in the doldrums, the, the chances of you dying were almost a 99 percentile. And so, so you would find yourself in this place where now you're pressed with the reality of you can't get out. The pain of the what ifs and the possibilities or the lack of possibilities. And so I just started to think this week that many times, not just in light of tragedy, but just in our own painful moments in life, moments where we get a dose of reality. It's It's really tough in those moments when you feel pressed and you feel like there's no wind behind your sail to find yourself in a really discouraged place. Matter of fact, it's in that place that you can move from a hero, one that acknowledges God very quickly to one who doesn't because of the distress. And, and when we find ourselves pressed in moments like that, the temptation, I, I think the first temptation is, is, if you're taking notes, jot this down, we start to deny it. We 
just don't want to believe that it's really happening. I mean, this is surreal. Like, you're my wife. You're not supposed to leave me. This, this doesn't happen to me. Like the doctor's report with cancer or illness, like that just, who, that just doesn't happen. There's no way. Like, like a campfire that's just destroying, you know, 150,000 acres. Like, come on, that's just, that's, it's just, it's just too real. There's, it's just surreal. And a lot of times when there's so much pain, we just, Man, we don't want to. We don't want to see that. We don't want to look at it. It's just so much easier to not look at it. It's so much easier just to find ourselves in a place of denial and just oh, we're just business as usual. And that's the word that I felt like the Lord gave me today is Matt. It's not business as usual. They're gonna have to change this message. And and so I think we find ourselves in those moments because it just it just seems overwhelming. Just didn't know that pain could creep up on you so fast. In fact, in World War II or during the Holocaust, both American and the, the, the British could not believe that, that it was happening. They thought, man, the same place where we got Mozart and Bach are committing genocide? Franklin Roosevelt said, there's no way. There's no way. And obviously by the time they responded, it was, everything was already in full-fledged, full action. Because it just seemed like no possible way. You know, I, I, I love Peter's response to Jesus because Peter had a couple of these moments. Look what Peter says to Jesus. There was a moment where Jesus started to tell his disciples that there's going to come a day where I'm going to the cross, guys. I'm going to suffer at the hands of sinful men. Basically, I'm going to die. And Peter's like, no, you're not. No way. He said, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him. How do you reprimand the Lord? That is like super denial. He said, heaven forbid, Lord, this will never happen to you. No way. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. How you recover from that one, I don't know. You are, you are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. You know, I got to be honest. I, I, I understood the gravity of what was happening, I think, a little bit more. I have friends in paradise. I have friends that lost their churches uh, lost their homes, lost everything. My buddy Chico has been trying to, you know, aid the 52,000 people that have been displaced. And, and you have so graciously given last week. We're able to raise over $1,000 to send straight to the ground. And I'm going to show you a video from him in just a minute um, so you guys can, can uh, you guys will be able to check that out. But, but th there, there was a moment this last week that really hit me. Let me show you a picture. I went up onto a hillside, uh, it's, it's a park in Livermore where I normally pray over the valley. And as I got up there, I couldn't see it. It was just like, it looked like a bomb went off. And you can kind of see in the background, normally you can see the entire region. I was just like, man, this is, this is no joke. Like something is seriously wrong here. And all of a sudden the reality just started to settle in. Like, man. And, and I had to take a moment just to let it settle in. Because, come on, I mean, it's, it, it, we have responsibilities and life continues to move on and we have to go here and go there. But sometimes we just need to take a moment and just let the reality seek in. And so I, I went from praying just for the valley, I went to, to praying for a, a bunch of things. But, but if, if, we, if we don't get a grasp on reality, 
We're going to be doing ourselves a big disservice in the people that God has called us to serve in the world that God has called us to reach. But, but maybe, maybe it's not even uh, denial. Sometimes when the pain is so great, and I'm not just speaking of the tragedy that we're facing uh, here in Northern California and Southern California, but I'm just speaking about pain in your life. Is that the, the, the moment that we start to uh, maybe acknowledge it, it becomes really easy to rather than deal with it, to start faking it. Because a lot of times we, um, we like to fake what we don't want to deal with. We want to, to make light of that which is painful and we don't want to deal with it. So we just got to make light of it. Like, for example, you guys ever seen Pure Luck? Guy gets stung by a bee. And then they ask him a question. Are you okay? And he looks at him. He's like, I'm great. I'm fine. As he's swelled up getting ready to die and start choking. And I just think sometimes that's it is, is we can be in a lot of pain, but I can't let you know that. Because I don't want you to think I'm weak. I don't want you to think I can't handle it. And so we try to make light of it. Look what God spoke to the prophets and to the leaders in Jeremiah's day. He said, they dressed the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. So that, that's like a whole other level of positivity when it's like there's no peace. Like, hey, you need to feel the gravity of what's happening in our world. And the prophets are like, oh, it's okay. Everything's going to be great. And Lord's like, no, it's not. It's not okay. Yet God's in control. And, yes, all of that is true. And it's not like we're, we're, we're drawn to despair or hopelessness. But, but we do have to feel the gravity because it's in that gravity that God begins to move in our heart, in a real special way. But I think sometimes we fake it because, again, maybe some of us have opened up our lives to somebody and, and maybe you opened yourself up to somebody with your pain and, and, it, and the response was like this, oh, you'll be fine. You'll be all right. Stop whining about that. You're fine. And all of a sudden it's like, man, I'm hurting, I'm hurting. Okay. Yep, I'm fine. Oh, it's not a big deal. Yep. I'm just going to keep going. Even though I'm dying, I'm not going to say anything. I'm fine. I'm great. We just don't want to sometimes allow people in because we don't want to appear as weak. This week at Home Depot, I had a mask on. Don't judge me, okay? I had a mask on, and, and I, I was walking out of Home Depot, and one of the, the, the people working there, he looked at me and said, man, is it really that serious? And instantly I felt like, man. I'm a strong dude, all right? And my response to him was this. I'm not a microbiologist, and I don't think you are either, so I'm going to take my chances with this. If I'm right, hey, or if you're right, man, I don't lose. If I'm right, you lose. <laughs> but we just, man, sometimes we just don't want to let people in. Sometimes we just like to fake it till we make it. Right, you know, you're on the new job and your boss is explaining to you all the stuff that you don't understand. You're like, yep, yep, I got it. Uh-huh. Yep, no problem. You're, you're, you're sitting in a classroom and the teacher's like, hey, do you understand? You're like, yeah, absolutely. And you have no clue. I'm just going to fake it till I make it. And that works sometimes, but not with pain. It doesn't work that well with pain. It's really hard to fake it because a lot of times you won't make it. What will transition is uh, you'll get exhausted. 
And if you're taking notes, jot this down. We start to transition from faking it to we get tired. And I think when we get tired is where we're, we're more susceptible to, to not acknowledge God anymore. All of a sudden it's like, man, Lord, I, I just kind of want to do my own thing. This is where we're tempted to medicate. We're tempted to lose sight of truth. We're, all of a sudden hopelessness starts to kind of set in. We're, we're, just, we're just exhausted. We're just tired. Look what the psalmist says. That I'm exhausted from crying for help. My throat is parched. My eyes are swollen with weeping. Waiting for my God to help me. Just waiting. And I, I think, I think the, the, the temptation here is when we get tired, we start to get frustrated. We start to get irritated. We start to get annoyed. We get frustrated with the circumstances. I mean, could you imagine? They told us to stay in the house all week, like as much as you can, stay indoors. And so I was in the house with Jackie and the kids all week. Do you know how frustrating that is? For them, not for me. They had to deal with me all week. Challenge. It's frustrating. You know, uh, I was talking to my buddy who's pastoring in Chico, and he said, man, it's, it's, just, it's just so crazy. He said that uh, they have those makeshift fans uh, that, you know, that you put filters in. Uh, shout out to the Kyokos because uh, we have five filters in our house now um, that we made with box fans and some HEPA filters. Pretty awesome. But my buddy said, man, we got 12 of those things, and every 24 hours they're black. Got them running in the church. He said, it's just, it's just crazy. He said, I was talking to, to one lady, and uh, they just canceled schools till." Uh, you know, later down in December. He said, he said it's, it's, it's unbelievable. He said all separation of church and state, he said, doesn't exist anymore here. He said, I got principals on our doorstep saying, can we use your facility for school? You know, it's just, he said, it's just, it, it's, it's just really mind-blowing, the opportunity that, that's happening. But he said he, he was speaking to this one uh, single-parent mom, and, and he was embracing her and, and, uh, and just trying to bring comfort. And when she found out that school was canceled, she just lost it. Because they're just tired. It's like, man, how am I going to work? What, what am I going to? And, 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 and so a lot of times when we're caught in the doldrums where we're pressed and we can't catch our breath, it's really easy to get tired. I had pneumonia in the trachea when I was in the sixth grade. I almost died. And uh, so grateful that my mom took me to the hospital because I didn't want to go, of course. And, uh, but by the time I got to the hospital, I, my, my breathing, my trachea was, was closing up. It was almost closed. Uh, by the time I got to Eden Hospital, and I was just so tired from trying to breathe that I just wanted to go to sleep. I just wanted to ignore everything and just, I just, I couldn't catch a breath. And, and in that moment, we get tired, and when we get tired, uh, we transition to, if you're taking notes, jot this down, we just start to give up. Hopelessness just starts to set in, and we just start to have those thoughts of it's never going to work. My, my, my marriage is never going to change. My job's never going to change. This, I'm never going to find that significant other. It's just not going to work, and we just start to give up. We start to say things like it's always going to be like this. I just can't see the hope. I can't see the light of day. I can't see any possibilities. And there's just a loss of hope that starts to set in, and, oh, it's just tough, and we just want to throw in the towel. We just want to give up. Look what it says here in the scripture. It says uh, in Job, Job was just, he was exhausted. He was just going through it. And it's, he said this, it says, where then is my hope? Who can see any hope for me? It's interesting when you're in 
a, a spot where you're pressed and you can't breathe. When you're trapped in the doldrums, it's really hard to see a way out. It, it, he said, I, I just can't see it. Can't see any possibilities. Isn't it funny when somebody else is going through something, you can see it so clearly? Like, oh, I know exactly what you need to do. One, two, three, there you go. Like, how do you not see that? But then when you're in it, you're like, it's just so hard to see. And we find ourselves discouraged. We find ourselves wanting to give up. And this is where a lot of people just kind of throw in the towel. But I want to encourage you today, and if you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down, that when we are at our wit's end, it doesn't have to be our faith's end. That when we are at our wit's end, we just can't deal with it anymore. And it could be, it could be several things. I don't know what brings you to that place, to your wit's end, but it does not have to be your faith's end. It doesn't have to be your faith's end. You just need a breath of fresh air. You just need some wind back again behind your sail. You just need some things to lift off of you that you can breathe again. And so, so we've been looking at the life of King Saul, and you're not going to learn much about breath with King Saul. Uh, we, we've been looking over his life that there's a lot of things of what not to do. And I think sometimes with King Saul, it's really easy to look and say, well, King Saul was just kind of a train wreck, and I'm not that bad, so I really can't identify with him. And so I thought we would use David today. You know, David, he always, you know, he's like the poster child, a man after God's own heart. That's, that's David, a man who meditates on the law day and night, just loves the Lord, loves his word, loves his presence. But even David found himself at moments as a man getting tired. You know, there was a moment where David felt and, and, and David uttered these words. He says, it's only a matter of time till Saul kills me. And at that moment, he, David lost sight of the promise that, no, bro, you're going to be king. It's just he'd been running from Saul for so long, this prolonged trial, this prolonged difficulty of somebody trying to kill you. That gets exhausting. And so finally David was like, man, I'm just, it's only a matter of time. So he, he moves from acknowledging God to leaning into his own wisdom, and he goes and tries to partner up with his enemy, which was the Philistines, or God's enemy, which was the Philistines. And, and so that doesn't work out, obviously, and, and that wasn't a good choice. And so David and his men are on their way back to a place called Ziklag. And I thought it was interesting because when I asked the Lord, what do you want me to preach? All the only, I only heard one word, and it was Ziklag. And so I looked up Ziklag, and it means press. And so I thought, okay, Lord, like, what are you saying here? Well, well, David and his men, they went back, 600 of them, went back to their, to their place, to Ziklag, where they were staying, where they had made their home, and hoping to come back to their wives and kids, and like, okay, well, that plan didn't work. What's the next plan? What are we going to do? And when they came back, everything was destroyed. As a result of Saul's lack of obedience, he spared some of the Amalekites, and, and they took an opportunity when they saw David and his men in a vulnerable place to come in and ravage the land, and they burned it to the ground. And here we find David in a place where hoping just to catch a breath, only to find himself more pressed. And look what it says. 
It says this, when David and his men reached Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no more strength left to weep. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. If we're going to get a breath of fresh air, the first thing that we're going to have to do is face reality. We're going to have to face reality. Now go back to that passage. I want you to notice they came back and, and everything had been burned to the ground. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, everything was gone. And they're like, what in the world? Like we lost everything. And notice how they just didn't, they didn't downplay it. They didn't try to deny it. They just dropped to their knees and was like, we just got to deal with this. You know, sometimes I think we, we, we don't want to feel the gravity of some of the stuff that we're facing. And so we don't grieve. And so, I don't know, I just, I just think that, that sometimes we just need to slow down and we just need to realize that when we're in a tough spot, let's just deal with it. Let's just, just let it sink in. And it says that they wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. They just cried. You ever had a good cry? Where you just got to just let it go. And it's so bad that you, you kind of poke your head up and you're like so grateful nobody's there. Because you just look like a hot mess. And, but it feels so good just to say. And, and listen, grieving is, is far beyond just, just you know, uh, it, it doesn't just look like crying. I mean, sometimes it's just we have to, uh, to grieve in the way that God has designed us. But we can only grieve if we're actually facing reality. And, and I think as we look at this tragedy with, with the fires, it's really easy just to move on. Because quite frankly, we're, we're kind of numb to a lot of things. Like we see tragedy on the news all the time. So when it happens in our backyard, it's not really a surprise. It doesn't even really sink in. I, I mean, I was watching people this week, and I was just blown away. Like the health folks are saying, hey, just try to stay inside. People are outside having coffee, relaxing on their iPad. And it's like, man, the smoke is like 300 here. That's not good. And people just, they just don't see it. Some denying it. Some think, some don't care. They're smoking cigarettes, so they're like, oh, I don't care. It's all good. Same, same difference to me. And, like, I get that. But I just thought, man, I, I could see how in the last days, people are just going to miss it. Like, I believe we're le living in the last days. But I'm talking as man, some of these signs of the time start to rise up. I could just see people just, because the Lord said it would be like the days of Noah. People would be eating, drinking, and marrying, just going on with their life as if there's no issues. I thought, how many of us? are eating, marrying, and drinking, and just going on about our life. And there's a ton of issues in our life that God's like, let's deal with that. I want you to experience freedom. I want you to experience life. But in order to do that, you're going to have to face reality. Like, like when we look at this picture, this is homes. I'm not trying to be a bear of bad news today. But there's a lot of bad news right now. And I think, again, sometimes we just have to realize that, man, 9,300 homes, probably more, burned to the ground, 52,000 people displaced. That's a lot. My friend Chico, his world is a whole different reality right now than ours. 
I mean, he's running on adrenaline. His phone is ringing off the hook. They're trying to, you know, people are just coming in from everywhere, distressed, distraught. They're just trying to figure stuff out. He's like, dude, I don't, you don't need a plan. Just do whatever you want because it's just, it's just crazy. And so sometimes just, just looking, let me show you a, a pastor friend of ours. He pastors uh, Foursquare Church in Paradise. He listed on Facebook, he said, these are things that I no longer need. Akita was house, Akita was church, Akita was car, gym membership, it's all gone. Every aspect of normalcy is gone for a lot of these people. And so, so you know, I say, man, we, we, we got to let reality set in because reality positions us to actually feel a burden that moves us to a place of action. See, see, in the kingdom of God, this doesn't, this doesn't cause us to lose hope and to lose sight. It should provoke us to action and mission. So, so like, let me give you an example. Look at Nehemiah. When Nehemiah found out that people from his homeland were in trouble, look what it says. It said, they said to me, those who survived survive the exile are back in the providence, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and the gates have been burned with fire. Pastor Chris had no idea that I was going to pull this passage out today. So this is something the Lord wants us to lean into. But he said, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. I'm dealing with the reality of it. I'm dealing with the gravity of it. I'm letting it hit me in, I'm letting it hit me, uh, in such a way that it's moving my heart to action. He says, for some days I mourned and I fasted and I prayed before the God of heaven. And what's so interesting is Nehemiah was in the palace of the king. He wasn't even affected by it. He was living in luxury. But he allowed God to deal with his heart and he faced reality. And as a result, Nehemiah responded. Somebody outside of the trees was able to respond with a vision to rebuild because everybody in that homeland had lost hope of the possibility of rebuilding. Nehemiah said, no, we're going to, God's going to get it done. Matter of fact, it's going to get done in a record time. But he had to face reality. He had to be moved. Listen, if you are dealing with pain in your life right now, don't ignore it. Don't fake it. You'll get exhausted. And then you'll live your life tired with a sense of, oh, I just got to deal with it. And that dysfunction will spew out everywhere else when we're dealing with stuff like paradise and these fires. Don't ignore it. Lean into it. Lean into it. Face reality. And the second thing we got to do, though, as we're facing reality, we got to guard our emotions. Because when, when we're dealing with some painful stuff, for us uh, here dealing with, you know, tragedy and stuff that's outside of, of our region uh, can be a, a, a lot different than when you're actually in it. But when you're dealing with your own pain and you're facing the reality of some things that are happening in you, that are happening in your relationships, that are happening in your current circumstances, you got to guard your emotions because, man, when pain is kind of resurrecting, it's easy to start lashing out. It's easy to start blaming. It's easy. You got to find somebody to take it out on. And so that, that's what happened to David's men. They, they were upset and said, they looked for somebody that was innocent because it wasn't David's fault. They said, yeah, you're, you're the problem. Look, look what they said. They said, David was greatly distressed. Why? Because the men were taking, talking of stoning him. These are, these are your boys. So now David's lost everything and now all his friends. Now all his right-hand guys. And it says he was distressed. This word distressed in the Hebrew, it means narrow. Like David saw there was really no way out of this. 
And each one was bitter in his spirit because of his sons and daughters. They were just hurting. And so how we process, we just don't want to face reality and just, okay, but we want to process properly. And, and we got to guard our emotions. We got to understand that, man, it's easy to point the finger. We want to find somebody to blame. We want to find somebody to take it out on. We, man, I'm just feeling so much pain. But I love David. David deals with his distress in a totally different way. He doesn't even take it out on his men that want to stone him. He didn't give them a lecture on how it wasn't his fault. But David pressed into the Lord. And, and if you look at the backstory of this text, David had lost sight. He stopped acknowledging God in some of his decisions. And David came back to Ziklag and he's like, oh, man, I, I knew it. I know better than this. And so now everything's gone. His boys want to stone him. He's feeling great distress. He doesn't medicate. He doesn't lash out. He says, I know what I need to do. I need to do what I've always done. I need to press in. I need to press into God. So if you're taking notes, you might want to jot this down, is that when you're feeling distressed, you need to press in. You need to press into God. Look, look what it says, what David did. It says this. It says, it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. I thought this was so, so fascinating because this word strengthen, it means that he grew in a firmness. So it was almost like it's a, it was a process. David was growing in his firmness. And, and, and the word translate at, translates as a squeeze. So I thought, how incredible is this? Is that when pain is pressing in, God said, I'm going to squeeze it out. That when pain is pressing down on us, as we begin to press into God, God says, let me squeeze you into a place of firmness. I'm going to squeeze all of that junk out of you. Even though your circumstances haven't changed, I'm going to radically transform you in the midst of and squeeze out everything that's not good. Listen, as a result of you opening up your heart and coming and saying, Lord, do what you want. I mean, how, how many of you are grateful that we have a God that says, man, when pain is pressing in, I'm going to squeeze it out. I have the potential to squeeze it out. I am so much bigger. I am so much greater. That no matter what you're dealing with, I'm greater. But see, it wasn't like David just approached God like, okay, Lord, uh, let me give you a shot. That's not how David approached the Lord. David didn't approach prayer with a heart that said, maybe you could do something. David didn't approach his time with God with an approach that just was, well, it's my last ditch effort. That's not how David approached God. And this is what I think was the secret of, 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 of King David because we see this man overcome so many obstacles. And the difference between him and Saul was, was vastly, was so clear is that Saul just refused to acknowledge God. And David said, I'm just going to go all in. I messed up, but I'm going all in. I blew it. I started getting off track, but I'm just going all in again. I said, I know you, God. I know that your grace is sufficient. I know that your power is able. I've seen and I've heard of all your wonders and good deeds. I'm just going to go all in. 
I blew it. I messed up. I know I'm dealing with a lot of pain, a lot of dysfunction. I know that I'm dealing with a lot of heartache, a lot, but I'm going all in. And that's just how David operated. Look what it says in the Psalms. This, is, this was David's MO. He says, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. I trust you. Like I'm throwing myself upon you. And he says, in God, whose word I praise. Like I'm not just, you know, hoping that your word uh, might bring a result. No, I praise your word because I know that it is trustworthy. I know that it is true. I can bank my life on this. In God, I trust. You thought the United States made that up. No, David did. He said, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? He strengthened himself. He began to grow in a firmness. Now, this is before anything had changed. This is before any of his circumstances had changed. David began to grow in a firmness. David Livingston, there was, he was a missionary, and uh, he was traveling to a different portion of Africa, and some of these tribes, they, they, were, they were too impoverished to even accept any bribes, and he knew that his life was in great danger. And everybody encouraged him, said, you can't stay the night here. They're, they're about to wage war against you. You need to get out of here tonight. And his heart was broken because he's like, I'm trying to establish some economy. I'm trying to establish some, the gospel in this arena where nobody has the gospel. And so he was just wrestling. And so he, he, he said, you know what? He silenced every voice and he began to press in. And God began to strengthen his heart. He began to grow in a firmness. He said, listen, no, 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 we're going tomorrow just as we planned. We're not, we're not going to be moved by, I'm going to do what God told me to do. And next morning they woke up and went to their canoes and went on their way. But, but there was a firmness that, that took place as, as he was pressing in. God was squeezing out the fear. God was squeezing out the dysfunction. Saying, no, no, you're firm, you're established. I'm trustworthy. I got you. And literally, Pastor Chris did not know my message today because I changed it Friday. But it's so funny because Pastor Chris said something that was really David's next response. Look what it is. What do you want me to do? How powerful is that? I think it's a word that God is saying, like, hey, listen, let me deal with your heart. And then David said, I need to inquire of the Lord. What do you want me to do? Nehemiah. What do you want me to do? Give me a vision. Help me to take a next step. What do I need to deal with? What do I need to do? And look what the scripture says. Or let, actually, before we go there, let's go back. Um, what do you want me to do? I, 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 I thought about so many different points or, or ways to go. But, but I, I, want, I want to land here today. If some of you listen, you need to press in. Because that pain is pressing now. You can't breathe. And some of you here, you're here today and things are okay, but you need to let a dose of reality sink in on what's happening in our world. And let God begin to break your heart. Let God begin to move you in such a way where you're in a position to simply utter, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? What can I do? What can I do to help? I know that when we, we talk about these paradise fires, um, we have already moved to action, but we have some greater opportunity that God is going to present or that God is presenting to us. And I, I believe this is what the Lord is asking us. And it's, let me show you the passage. Um, 
It says, may the Lord bless Onesiphorus and his family because he visited me and encouraged me often. And the worship team, you guys could come up. It says that his visits revived me like a breath of fresh air. And I believe two things today is that God is wanting to bring some fresh air to your heart, to your soul. But God is also wants you to bring some fresh air to those who desperately need it. What can we do? And uh, I'm going to transition this time as, as we wrap up. There's, there's just three things that I believe that God is asking for us with our time, our talents, and our treasure. Is this, that number one, we can pray. Pray is never our last resort. It's always our first response. We can pray. Um, so continue to do that. We can give. Uh, and when I say give, I'm talking time, talents, and treasure. Uh, last week we raised over $1,000. The beautiful thing is they did a kids camp last week uh, for all the kids that have been displaced. Um, seeing kids, you know, walk out with a toy, just some sense of normalcy. Um, and so, so, so as, as God leads you, um, we're going to have the slide up there for you. Uh, after our tithes and our offerings that you can continue to, to, to give online. Uh, just make sure you slot at California Fires. Uh, but we also have an opportunity to go. And so in the next two weeks, um, uh, we're planning another kids camp. And so if you have a heart and you want to go to ground zero, um, we're going we're gonna to assemble a team and we're going to go up there. You know, FEMA, uh, they just got there recently and FEMA said they've never seen anything like this. The hurricanes and floods and all that stuff incredible damage, but it's a different type of a damage. So the fire is just, they were just, whoa. And, uh, and so we get an opportunity. So all I ask is that you pray and simply ask, Lord, what would you have me do?